You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's style is very unique, where he shares the message of the gospel unlike anyone else. It's real, refreshing, focused, and fun. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe in a difficult place, or possibly even in a very lonely place, let me encourage you that you've come to the right place. Now, if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's talk, you can always listen to, download, and even share this entire message with a friend right from our website, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Peculiar People. There's a word in the King James Version of the Bible. It talks about a peculiar people, and we're going to look at a bunch of these places where that's listed. But somewhere along the way, I think Christians, maybe it's not just an American thing, but maybe it's on the planet, somewhere this word peculiar gets twisted, and Christians just get weird. And I don't know if you've met some of these weird Christians, but let me just kind of throw this out here to begin with. You don't have to be weird to be a Christian. You don't have to be weird to be set apart. And I know there's certain things that as Christians we shouldn't be involved in, we shouldn't participate in. You know, there's certain things, there's just modesty in what you wear. But, you know, personally, I like color, but you'd be amazed if you come out with some color on, people think, oh, you're being flashy. You know what? God made color. It's okay. If you come out with some color, it doesn't make you not a Christian. It may represent you got some joy, but there are some people just look like everybody they know died. There is no joy to be a peculiar people, to be a peculiar person in the biblical sense of the word does not mean you have to be weird and dress weird. All right, let me read you the definition. It's interesting, and I always read some people, why do you always read definitions? Words have meaning, they have power, I just love words and how they all work. But the word peculiar comes from a Latin word, peculiaris, which is, means private property or special, and that comes from peculium, which means private property, which comes from pecu, which means cattle, akin to Latin pecus. So it literally gets down, it's traceable to something you own, private property, something that is special to you. Now it can also mean it's a characteristic of only one person, group, or thing, distinctive, or it can be different from the usual or norm, special. You know, if you look at someone and say, well, they're just really special, that can mean a lot of things. Particular or can mean odd, curious, eccentric, or queer, an old word that, you know, has changed meaning, obviously. Uh, synonyms of it, characteristic or strange. So somebody's peculiar, something's peculiar. We read it in the New Testament, again, the King James Version. It has a different meaning, so we're going to look at that a little bit today in just a second. And before we jump into the scriptures about this, think about something you have at your house, a private possession. Your house is on fire. Your family's in the house. Of all the stuff in your house, you got 30 seconds to run in there and grab whatever it is and get that out of there. What would it be? A private possession, a peculiar thing. Now, before we get into any of this stuff, let me tell you something. That's how God feels about you. If somehow you can ever get a grip on the fact that we are his chosen people, if you are a child of God, that means something. What is so hard sometimes to translate to people about the whole God thing and the Bible thing is you think, well, it's just words. I don't get it. It doesn't mean anything. I don't understand. If you can ever do what we just did right there, that thing that something happened, not in your head, but in your head and in your heart, where you go, oh, well, well, wait a minute. Then God looks down here and says, the planet's on fire. The planet's shot. Sin has consumed the place. 
but I still got my people down there. I got to get them out. How am I going to get them out without forcing them against their will? The only way to get them out is to send my own son down there, let him live, die on a cross, be buried and raised from the dead, and I'll get them out. Now, they're going to have to respond to the faith that I give them, to the truth of this message that I love them, and they're mine, they're my children. I mean, if it ever clicks in your brain that if you are truly a child of God, that means something. That means if you're in trouble in the same way that I would do anything to help my children, that he comes after you. And this is what I didn't know for 20-something years and the thing that changed my life. I finally got to a place somehow where God showed me it wasn't just words. It wasn't just facts. It wasn't just a bunch of verses that you memorized and said you knew. All of a sudden, it became some feeling to me that I knew that if I fell, if I got in trouble, that God didn't go, boom, you're gone and just squash me or send some angels and discipline him. Even when you discipline your kids, a thing you hate to hear your parents say growing up, this hurts me more than you. You're an idiot. It can't. You're not in my butt. You know, it's killing me. And then you become a parent and you spank your kids. You see their pain. You're like, it's true, but I'm not going to say it because it didn't make any sense, you know. So even when God disciplines us, there's something about this process. It hurts him to hurt us. But if he doesn't, then it shows that he doesn't really love us. And when you hurt, when something happens in your life and you say, what are you thinking, God? Where are you? You don't give a rip about me or you do something. And I think God feels something. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Then explain to me why a God, the God of the universe, would send his only son to come down here, live, go through all the crap we go through, be crucified when he didn't deserve it, be buried, raised from the dead, and say he doesn't care about us. He's an idiot then. He's a fool if he doesn't love us. Now, what changed my life is when it became not just fact, not just faith, but I began to believe in my heart that he and his heart felt something for me. And that I was his private possession. I was his peculiar child. And my wife and everybody agrees with that (laughs) in the bad side. But that there was something in God's heart about me. You say, well, there's nothing special about me. Maybe not to you, but I'm going to tell you something. To God there is because it cost him his son to get you into his family. You say, well, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I've never felt anything like that. Don't know anything about that. What are you talking about being in God's family? How do you get into God's family? You get adopted. You get chosen. Maybe I've shared this in here before, but my picture of this is a king with an entourage, the motorcycle cops, the suburbans in the front and back, police cars. This king pulls up to an orphanage, and he goes into this orphanage where nobody wants these kids. And he tells the person running it, line them all up, and he goes down the line, all through the line of all these orphan kids, and he comes up and he says, I'll take you. You're going home with me today. I'll take you. And where you were an orphan, you were nobody. You had nothing, no hope, no future, nobody except some orphanage that took you in. And just like that, he signs some papers, he loads you in his limo, and you drive off. And in a moment of time, you go from being an orphan to being a child of a king, just like that. Now, it's taken me, and I'm still not there, a while to believe that I really am a king's child. And I go back and behave like an orphan more than I'd like to admit. And the devil comes along and finds me in a weak moment by myself, and he says, who do you think you are? You're another little orphan boy. You got Jack. You're nobody. Until my daddy walks up and says, excuse me, I got papers here signed in somebody's blood that says that's my child. So I got to decide, am I going to listen to the enemy or listen to my daddy? 
Some of the question here may be, who's your daddy? That's a whole nother sermon. Now listen to some of these verses. Exodus chapter 19, 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure, and this word is used, peculiar treasure, to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. If we just obey him, he says, you'll be a special treasure to me. And that word used there is possession, property, valued property, peculiar treasure. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 14.2, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 26.18, also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments. Psalm 135.4, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. And then Ecclesiastes, just to give you another context here, talking here in verse 8, he says, Also I gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. And goes on to tell these things he gathered. But things that even a king, a king has everything. Solomon had everything. But he said, I even went after special treasures, little things that nobody had. Jump with me over to Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament. In verse 11, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, everybody's had kids. I got kids. You think, well, my kids are special and your kids are special and you dream. You you know, nobody goes to the hospital, has babies and say, I'm going to turn this kid into a nightmare. You know, that's my dream. Unless you're the mother of the Antichrist, you know, that's just not something you say. And even she's probably not thinking that. You look at them and say, these are going to be special kids. They're going to do great things. You got all these hopes and you do everything you can. So you have all these dreams for them. You know what? Some of them make, some of them don't. God has the same thing he thinks about us. I want you to be great kids. I want you to grow up and be great people. I want you to trust me and obey me and learn to submit to my authority. So not just when you're at home, when you get out there by yourself, you still hear my voice. And what my job is to get my kids to submit to authority at home. So when I'm not with them, when they're out there by themselves, because they are Christians now, the Holy Spirit lives in them. I want them to translate that voice and say, you know what? Daddy's not here, but God is. And he's saying, no. And because they've submitted to authority and it worked in their life before and they saw the consequence of not doing that, they get alone in a situation and the Holy Spirit, their conscience, all these things come together and they say, you know what, I got to go. Because it's not daddy here telling me no, it's God telling me no and I'm going to mess my life up if I keep going in this path. Let me read this again. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. 
Now, you know, this is kind of awkward. I never know. I get up here and start talking and reading this stuff, and I think I'm going to be okay. You know what? At some point, this has got to move you. And I read this stuff, and I've studied this stuff, and I get up here and read it to you, and it's not just words to me. And at some point, I pray it's not just words to you, that you start believing this stuff. And then when he says something like that we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, the thing that I've never gotten over and hope I never do is that somebody died for me. I am alive spiritually and physically, but especially spiritually, because somebody died for me. That's how I got my life. And if you ever take that for granted, I love seeing heart transplant people. All these people get these organs and, you know, you hear about the story and they talk about the person who died in a car wreck and they checked off organ donor and their heart was transported and and here's a man, 40, 50 something years old and he's alive because some 20 year old kid died and now the heart of that individual is in his body and he's alive because somebody else died. And you will never hear them speak derogatorily anyway about that person, their family, anything. You just mention them and they know they're alive because somebody died. That's the deal. Jesus isn't an organ donor. He's a life donor. And I got a life because he gave his life. And I try to figure out ways, either communicating it or expressing it some way to simplify it so you understand you can't let this just become words. You can't just let it become religious stuff. So all of that, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Let me go back to the kid thing a minute. You know how frustrated you get when you've tried to do the right thing with your kids? If you've got kids, you watch people raising kids, and you tell them, and they just go do the same stupid thing again. You try to tell them, that guy is not going to be good for you. That girl is troubled. Get away from him. And they go right back down there and, and, you know, mess their lives up. You say, why won't they do the right thing? Now you know how God feels. He's our father. And he says, I've told you in writing. I've told you in your heart. I've created circumstances. There's been consequences. I'm telling you, no. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. I'll be right back. And you say, well, maybe it's hereditary. Your kids are stupid because you're stupid. You know what? Have you ever stopped to think that if they see you under authority and submitted to authority, maybe it gets transferred a little bit. If they see their mama obeying God, then they think, well, mama obeys God and it's not, you know, it works out for her. Maybe I need to learn something about obedience. And I see daddy doing the right thing. They got no role model. You know, wagging your finger, telling them, I'll whoop your butt and all these things. If you do this, blah, blah, blah. And they go, whatever, you're screwing up. You're doing what you want to do. And there's no, you know, it working out fine for you. As soon as I can get out of here, I'll live like you do. Well, let me read you this. Henry David Thoreau said this, What is peculiar in the life of a man consists not in his obedience, but his opposition to his instincts. In one direction or another, he strives to live a supernatural life. 1 Peter chapter 2, listen to what Peter writes to him, verse 1 and following. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And by the way, he's writing this to Christians. You know where we got trouble? The world's not our problem. It's church. This is what's going on at church. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. If you just get that out of church, you could have church. 
He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And that to me is the question. Have you tasted that the Lord is good, that he's gracious? Because if you ever do, you'll start putting that stuff aside. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, obedient, the stone which the builders rejected, he has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You know why non-believers hate to talk about Jesus? Because they don't want anything to do with him. They want to live their life. But you get somebody hungry and you say the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit mixed with that, man, you got some power. You dropped a rock on their head, the rock on their head. Same thing with Christians. All I got to do to bust you out or me, get in a conversation start talking about Jesus. I can blow out carnal Christians in about 30 seconds. They can't take it anymore. Well, God bless you. And that sounds good. I got to go. I got to (laughs) go. They don't want to stand around and talk about Jesus, anything. They'll talk about God. Oh, God is good all the time, you know, but you start talking about what Jesus did for him and what Jesus is doing for him right now and what Jesus did today and, and how much you love Jesus and how grateful you are to Jesus. You know, could you just not say Jesus anymore? Why do you keep saying Jesus? See, when I'm running from God, I don't want to hear that name because I got to deal with that name. It's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But listen to verse nine, but you are a chosen generation. Now in the old Testament that applied to Israel, and I'm not saying God has ditched Israel. I'm going to tell you something. This thing got expanded and now it's us. Who is he writing to us? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then listen to this, his own special people. The truth is you are chosen. If you are God's child, you are chosen. But you know what? God doesn't come looking for you because you're tall or skinny or beautiful. He chooses you because you're his. And if you know what it feels like to be picked over and then to finally realize, you know what? God chose me. I got picked. And you had to have gotten picked or you wouldn't care. You don't have any faith. You don't have any love for God unless he gives you that and you respond to that and somehow this miracle, miraculous thing happens and there you are in his family. It's hard to explain, but it's the truth. So we are his special people. He goes through it. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know what that says to me? You're nobody until he makes you somebody. But God comes along and literally today you can be listening to this message and get a tap on your spiritual shoulder and you just sit there going, what the heck is going on? I've never felt this, never thought this. I didn't come here for this. I didn't know this was going to happen. I baptized a girl and went to a Christian concert. She's a lesbian drug at you know you name it alcoholic her life was a disaster almost died in a wreck she went to a bunch of her friends aa friends invited her a concert they just didn't tell her it was a christian concert so when she got there celebrate freedom the biggest thing on the planet she stuck there with all these kids these people she told me later she said she got there figured out what it was and this is what she said i can repel it i can repel it 
and a song hit her between the eyes, and she couldn't repel it. When Jesus comes after you, you're going to have a hard time repelling it. And he describes these people who once were not a people, who had been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and what had he chosen them to do and be? He said that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our lives are somehow supposed to say, to scream to the world, there's something better. There's something more. There's somebody that loves you. you. Nobody wants you. He wants you. You get picked over, he'll pick you first. Nobody likes you, he'll like you. Nobody comes after you when you're in trouble, he'll come after you. You think nobody loves you, nobody understands, nobody cares, he'll understand. He loves you, he cares. And he proved it by dying on a cross, being buried and raised from the dead. And that's part of our privilege is to live out a life that reflects that and reveals that to people. The thing I did not need growing up was more religion. I had enough religion to choke me, and it almost did. I finally met somebody and started noticing the people. They really genuinely loved God, and it was because they knew God really loved them. And I said, that's worth looking for. That's worth understanding. I got to get me some of that. Richard Ellis will return in a moment to wrap up today's talk with a few final words. But first, I want to share some important information about the program. The reason we do this is to share with you the good news. When you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So if you've been on this road for a while or just getting started, let us know how we can help. Maybe you've got some questions, stuck in neutral, or even wondering how to take the next breath. We're here. Give us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. We're here to celebrate with you, too. So if this program has made a difference to you and encouraged you in any way, tell us about it. Let's keep this conversation going by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also send us an email through our website, richardellistalks.com. That would really make our day to know how Richard's talks have helped you. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or email us through the website richardellistalks.com. And speaking of the messages, you can find today's talk along with every message from Richard at our website richardellistalks.com. Finally, we really believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute to this ministry by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. We would be so grateful for your gifts. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Just on a personal note, I thank you that this stuff works. And for not leaving me where I was, in the dark, with a bunch of religious information, it was all true, it just didn't make any sense. Not wanting to die anymore, figuring out a way to kill myself and be too chicken to do it. And Lord, for anybody today who's tried to be religious and just turned into all these lists of things, envy, malice, evil speaking. they just gotten mean as a devil, and they're supposedly they're Christians, Lord. It's not a very good reflection on who you are and what they're supposed to be. I pray that this stuff would get real, that it would get peculiar again, that we would start to live like your kids, like kids who know they've been chosen, that really were in the dark and got rescued, Lord, from a really bad place in this life and a terrible place in the life to come. Especially, Father, for those who don't know you, And somehow, maybe today, something made some sense, 
and their eyes, it seems like the scales have fallen off and their ears have been unstopped and their heart, old heart, maybe got broken and they can't repel it anymore. May somebody today just say, God, I don't know how I missed it. And I've heard the story, Christmas, Easter, I just missed it. But I see now and understand that you love me. And I thank you for loving me and for coming after me and choosing me. And my answer is yes to a relationship with you forever. I'm a sinner. I've screwed up my life. And I thank you that Jesus died to cover my sin, to offer me the forgiveness of my sin. I accept that forgiveness and purchase for me this amazing gift of eternal life. I accept it free of charge. I don't deserve any of this, but I know that now, that it is all free. Come live in me and through me. I believe he died for me, that he was raised from the dead. I want him alive in and through me. Change my life. Change my world. Let my life make a difference. Your life live through me, Lord. Let it make a difference. And especially, Lord, for those of us who claim to know you, may somebody see there is a difference, see that we know you, sense it. And may we always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us. And I thank you for peculiar people and even some peculiar things. And just to take a minute, Lord, to help us understand how much you love us. Use us this day, Father, for your kingdom, for your honor and glory. It could be our last. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today to Richard Ellis Talks. We're confident that the program blessed you, and we want to hear about it. One way is to give us a call and let us know. The number is 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is to drop us an email. Jump on over to our website, richardellistalks.com, and click on the Connect tab at the top. We'd love to hear from you. And while you're there at the website, there's a ton of great stuff there just for you. Things like all of the talk from Richard, a prayer wall where you can leave your prayer request, and a whole lot more. Check it out, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we love doing this program for you, but we're so grateful when you hop on board to help us with the cost. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD, or you can contribute through the website. It's easy and much appreciated. 855-6-RICHARD or richardellistalks.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.